You are listening to the San Antonio Zen Center Dharma Talks. The San Antonio Zen Center is supported solely by donation, so that everyone can participate in our offerings and programs, regardless of income. If you are able, please consider making a donation to SAZC through the donation button on our site, sanantoniozen.org, or by visiting paypal.me slash sanantoniozen. Thank you for your practice and enjoy the talk. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I wanted to begin this morning by saying how much I appreciate everyone. It was so nice. in the foyer this morning, seeing people coming in and everyone was interacting and greeting with the, greeting each other, being with each other. Um, had the distinct, for me, it had the distinct feeling in a good way of being like at a family reunion, you know. Uh, so it was, it was kind of like, the tribes coming together, yeah, and all. So this morning, when we were chanting during service in the Heart Sutra, we were chanting that Avilokiteshvara will deeply practice in Prajnaparamita. Clearly, saw that all five. Skandhas, or aggregates, as we say, are empty. Um, we don't. There's not a lot of discussion of the skandhas in our tradition. The main way we know about it is because of the Heart Sutra. It's not spoken spoken a lot. Uh, outside of that, and it's a, in spite of the fact that it's a foundational aspect of our practice. Um, originally, the skandhas referred to a person. A skanda meant a person. And then the Buddha got a hold of the term. And um, and it's, it's translated in a bunch of different ways. A lot of times we say skandhas, a lot of times we say aggregates, like we do here. Um, the Buddha often used uh, kind of like a translation of heaps. So he would talk about like, he would, as an analogy, he would use heaps of rice, five different heaps of rice. Um, another word is collections or um, groupings. I think we could probably even use the word uh, from a strictly non-academic point of view, um, I think we could probably use the word conditions in a way uh, as well. And there are five skandhas. So this is going to be a very brief overview because there's not a lot of, you know, would, this would be a very, very long talk to go into detail about all of them. So this is just an overview of the skandhas. So there are five. So there's form, which is uh, the Pali is rupa, and sensations, vadana, perceptions, samjana, 
formations, samskara, and consciousness. So, vijnana. And how uh, the Buddha was looking at these was, is, it, was a, it was a system of analysis of a way to look at this thing that we call the self, which isn't a thing as we know. Uh, and the literal word for skandhas actually refers to the, the trunk of a tree. Um, and in, in, um, in the Jnana Sutra, Sutta, the skanda, uh, the, tr- the, the um, banyan trees are often mistaken for people. Uh, like at a distance, not, not up close. It would be kind of obvious up close, but at a distance. Um, and the Buddha often referred to the skandhas as a chariot. He says, if you take apart all the components of a chariot, there's no chariot there. So where does the chariot come from? And by themselves, if you have the wheel and the tongue and the cab and all this stuff by themselves, it's just a wheel, a cab, or a tongue, right? There's no chariotness in those. Right? Um, I have my, my own analogy that I'll bring up, I'll mention later. But uh, for form, rupa, we, we often look at it as a literal form. We often want to see it as a literal form. Like we look at the wall. Or we might look at the kabaka, the incense, or a lamp. Um, and actually, it's the one of the five skandhas that's actually material-based, which basically means it has a, a physical appearance, right? But the physical appearance isn't the form. It's not the objective form. It is uh, how we apprehend the object. So, uh, if I see a green mat here, I'm going to uh, apprehend it. And so I'm going to see it as square, green. But this is my attribution to this this object. Uh, This is how I look at it. It's basically giving rise to how I see it. So the form is actually in me, it's not the form. So already we're projecting, <laughs> right off the bat. We're already looking for something to hang our hat on, so to speak. And in form, we apprehend the form. There are actually 14 different types of form. So there are the elements, so earth, fire, wind, water, right? So that's the form aspect of actual physical form aspect of it. The other ten are the senses and then the powers of those senses. So with the eye we have sight, with the tongue we have taste, with, uh, with the, the body we have touch or sense. So um, between the, the four elements and the senses, the, these are 
these are the forms, the forms of form. Without the without these, there would be no form, no physical form that we know of. So what it really comes down to is it's how the physical or how the ex, what we think of as the external object is manifested in our perception. So even though it has its roots in the physical, it's actually about how it manifests in our way of looking at things. And with the dana, with sensations, again, it's not it's not just this. It's not just the five senses. Right? This is um, it's the process of the evaluation of the input that we're, that we're taking in. Right? So how we are looking at this map. Right? Um, and how we, how we in the process of evaluation is we say, oh, uh, we look at it positive, negatively, or neutral. So is it something I like, I don't like, or that doesn't really even register in my consciousness. It doesn't even show up. Um, so it's, a, it's really about the sensations or about how we feel about it. It's not this. this. These are the tools, for example, the body's the tools that we use to take it in. But the sensations are actually how we feel about how we feel about this. And most things, as we often know, are neutral unless they're a threat or if they're pleasurable. So otherwise, it, you know, if it doesn't affect my sense of self in some way, it's not going to show up, even though it's there, or the person is there. We may, you know, we can have negative, we can have neutral feelings about a person as well too. So the analogy that's often used for this is, um, and I'm sure many of you have heard this before, it's like walking down a path in the dim light and you see a snake in the, on the path. You have this immediate sense of tightness or fear or apprehension. And when we look closer at it, we see it's actually a piece of rope that, that's actually laying there. So that how we evaluated it was as this rope was as a threat. We misapprehended it as a threat. Um, and and uh, for those of you that have spent any time in the country, we can have the same thing with fool's gold. Right? You're walking around and you see a piece of fool's gold and your heart kind of does a little flutter and you realize, oh, it's just... You know, Iron pyrite. So there's a, a movie, I don't know if, uh, I think one person has seen it, but I don't know if anyone else has. It's a BBC movie called Perfect Sense. And it's about people losing their senses, literally and figuratively. So it begins. There's this epidemic that takes over. And basically what happens, you're first hit with this 
with this deep, deep sorrow, this intense grief. You're crying, and then you lose your sense of smell. Everybody goes through this. And the main character is a chef, right? So his livelihood is is really uh, coming into question. And then, then panic and anxiety show up, and then a little bit later you lose your sense of taste. So then he begins making food that's just texture-based, that people can really appreciate the texture of the food or the mouthfeel of it. And then the next is anger or rage, and then you lose your sense of hearing. And euphoria, right before you lose your sight. And so that's the point that the movie ends. So they never talk about touch. Like, what is it we experience before we lose touch? So, uh, so in a way, you know, we're all, we would all be like um, living in Helen Keller's world, right? At, at the very end, just only the sense of touch. And the question that was left for this practitioner is, what is left after the touch is gone? We can say consciousness, but what are we knowing? You know, what is there to know in this in this way? What is the sense of I? Just just in this in this one in this one thing about the sensations, what is the sense of I without a way to interact with the world? We could say pure consciousness, but what does that mean? So samjana, the perceptions, another word that often gets used is uh, discrimination. Discrimination. And it depends on the first two skandhas. It depends on the form and the sensations for the perceptions. And actually, all of these skandhas are like Indra's net. They all reflect each other, they're all completely interdependent upon each other. You remove one and the others are gone. So for example, if after the sense of touch is gone, then what's left of the other four? So the perceptions actually help us classify things as positive, negative, or neutral, or people as positive, negative, or neutral. So in, in one sense, we have the, uh, the evaluation is positive, negative, and neutral. And then we have the classification. Right? So this is kind of where it's, oh, okay, green mat, bowing, nice soft place for me to land. It's, my knees appreciate that. So it actually provides these perceptions and discrimination, most specifically looking at it through the discrimination, that provides the, the, the framework for how we classify things. Provides, uh, it's kind of like the lines on a piece of paper, right? Provides, provides the, the framework for it. So it also determines what we see and what we don't see. Uh, and again, so, uh, if it's positive or negative, we're going to see it. If it's neutral, we're not really going to see it. So it doesn't benefit or threaten us in some way. 
isn't this interesting? Like this, 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 like this, this very early form of kind of the psychological way of looking at at how we are. So the first skanda is the one that's form based. The rest of us are all like storyland. <laughs> We're just about how we all uh, how we all look at this. And then we have the big kahuna, which is the formations. Uh, Red Pine, the translator, he, he uses the word memory. Uh, uh, another word is, uh, another term is conditioning factors, which from this practitioner's point of view, in my very limited understanding about all of this, is, is actually really accurate, the conditioning factors. Um, because what we're talking about is our predispositions to experience things in a certain way. And so, uh, based on our experiences, we're going to see things a certain way. Like, for instance, if I'm looking at the map, I'm thinking, nice soft place to kneel. A cat may come in and say, ooh, a bed. You know, depending on the cat's conditionings, and then my, my knee's conditionings. Um, and it's also the conceptual constructs that we use to look at this. So basically, if, if I see a mat, I'm going to go through all the things. If something that looks like a mat, I'm going to go through all the ways. Or if, actually, even if someone says the word mat, I'm going to come up with a different with a whole series, very quickly, images of a mat, what a mat might be. So that's the conceptual construct that I'm using. So if Sarah's describing it, mentions a mat, instantly as she's talking and as I'm listening, I'm coming up with a definition of a mat and what my perception of a mat is. Until she gives her description of a mat in which I begin filling it, filling that information in based on memory, based on, like if she says it's a green mat, and I'm thinking, okay, Kelly green, is it a lime green? You know, she may be talking about one shade of green, and I'm talking about another. So this is where, where, the, where the mind abhors a vacuum. So we're just mm. really filling in with as much information as we have based on our uh, conditioning factors, and the uh, it's called the manas. So it's this, it's this, it's the um, it's where we in uh, Abhidharma where we're talking about like the memory warehouse, a memory warehouse of mats, and it's just full of mats. <laughs> when someone says mats, it's all full of mats. Right? All, all different sizes and shapes and colors and, and forms. Um, so this all depends, you know, based on our conditions, it depends how we're going to interact with this mat here. Because the cat has certain associations with the mat. They're going to interact with it like, oh, yeah. yeah. Nice, nice bed. Uh, I'm going to leave hair everywhere. 
and the and the and the thing is, we are often um, unless we can catch it really quickly. This is kind of this is our uh, mo, our normal way of operating. The um, neuroscientist Candace Pert talks about how basically our um, uh, synaptic connections basically get locked in. Once we understand, once I understand map in a certain way, I'm locked into that definition of a map, and there are no other options available to me because I have a, a certain association with the map, especially if I have a negative experience with the map. Like if, I'm, like if it's judo when I get thrown to the map, right? I'm gonna have a not so pleasant association with, with the map. So I'm gonna become averse toward the map. And so, uh, and then you get, you get locked into that to the extent that no other possibilities, there are no other possibilities. David, uh, David Brazier, the Buddhist teacher, how he likens it is driving down a, a muddy road. That there are these ruts in the road and no matter what we do, the car always wants to slip back into the ruts. So that was a really eloquent one image. That no matter how far, if we, you know, if we can get out of the ruts, the wheels just want to slip. <laughs> Right back in, right back in. So consciousness, vijnana, uh, it's really simple. It's just how we know this, how we, how, how we know all of the above, how we are aware of all of the above. Um, Descartes said, cogito uh, ergo sum, I think therefore I am. It doesn't fly very well on the Buddhist circle, right? <laughs> it was, you know, I'm not who I think I am. It really is how we would, would look at it, uh, which is still consciousness. We're just actually taking a step back from, I think, therefore, and my thinking, which is what Descartes is implying, that we are our thinking. So this is in, in the Buddha's view. This is how this, this is this is how we create this this being, this sense of I, the sense of me that is separate from you and from you, from you, from everybody. Particularly if I have a a, a negative view, right? so push everything away. If I have a positive view, I want to bring it in and make it mine. So back to, they're both the me show. It's just a matter of how, how we're coming at it. But the good news is, is that Avalokiteshvara saw the five skandhas and saw that they were empty. So they're empty of separate existence. Empty of own being. So consciousness is empty, perceptions, formations, sensations, form. 
it's all empty. So this is one giant construct. Uh, often folks want to Folks who aren't so familiar with Buddhism will want to kind of want to view this as, as nihilism, as a nihilistic thing. Where it's actually, and I think Red Pine actually says it really beautifully. He says, emptiness means indivisibility. So we are never, ever separate from anything, no matter when we feel, no matter if we feel. Uh, extremely separate, lonely, or what have you. Uh, the reality is, is that it is all empty. If something, uh, if the form had its own being, was separate, right, then it could never have come into existence, nor could it ever uh, not exist. And as we know, since everything is impermanent, this is not the case. Things arise, things pass away, except impermanence. <laughs> There's always a but in Zen, <laughs> or an accept. And the reality is that the scanners are the only way that we can interact with existence, with Existence with the capital E, not small. It's the only way that we can interact with everything around us. It's the only way that we can interact with ourselves. Uh, so when we, when we look at form, form is input. Right, so we look, form is um, how we take something in. Sensations are the process of evaluation or of evaluating that form. The perceptions are the classification of that evaluation. And the formations are, are predispositions to classify things in a certain way. And the consciousness is how we do all of it. How we know all of it. So the Buddha uh, likened the skandhas as a chariot that you break apart, you know, take it apart, and there's no chariot there. Um, and because of conditioning factors, I think my analogy would be like more like a piece of furniture from IKEA. Right? It comes in this box, and it's written in these incomparable. It's not even written. It's the pictographs of incomprehensible things written by, uh, devised by someone operating under a sense of self that they're setting up these conditions for me to try to figure out what they're thinking of. Right? And we don't even get that crummy little wrench. <laughs> you know, when we're born. We just have to figure it out as we, as we go along. Uh, when we are when we're growing up, we just have to figure it out and develop our own toolkit. 
and how we see it is always going to be flawed because it's not actually the thing itself. It's you know, the map Sarah describes is not the one that I want to see. Right? So it could be because she has associations with the map and I have associations with the map. It's impossible for me to know. So basically, you know, sometimes the best that we can do is go, ah, and then, uh, and just point, you know. Sometimes that's about as, as good as it gets. And it's all that we have. It's all that we have. And to me, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a major miracle that we're able to even communicate with each other at all. You know, not even a minor miracle, but a major one. So this, these skandhas are a little, a little bad wrench in a way. Um, it doesn't do a very good job, but it gets the job. But it gets it done. Yeah. It gets it done. <clears throat> the key is just knowing when we're operating under the influence of a separate self. Whenever uh, and being able, and being able, most importantly, being able to question: uh, Is this belief I have really true? That is actually one of the single most important things we can do for ourselves and for others. Is uh, particularly if we're having a difficult conversation with someone, and we say, uh, "Wait a minute, I'm." I, you know, I think I'm operating under some bad ideas here. That's a real act of compassion and generosity for for the other person. Yeah. Uh, I remember um, Ed Brown at Tassa, came to Tassahara, and um, he gave some unwelcome feedback to folks, and before he left, he quoted, he apologized and quoted Winston Churchill and said, uh, who said, um, uh, I find that I'm in, I'm in the habit of eating my words, and I find the diet very nourishing. It's all very helpful for us. Any thoughts or questions or alternative ways of looking at things through your own unique condition? <clears throat>